Many months ago, as we sat together in shock with Port smashing the Lions back in round one, we were wondering if this might have been the beginning of the end of our flag tilt. But now, with just one game left of the home and away season, we seem better placed than ever before. It's been a season of twists and turns, but today on The Raw Deal, we're just beginning to dream that 2023 might be the year we've all been waiting for. We're going to talk through Friday night's statement win over the Pies in Melbourne with the Lions now perfectly placed to avoid any more aeroplanes until that last weekend in September, assuming they can get over the top of the Saints on Saturday. And uh, speaking of the Saints, diehard Saints fan and beloved Aussie actor from shows like McLeod's Daughters, Blue Healers and Home and Away, Charlie Clawson is going to join us. He's also Will Anderson's partner in crime across a range of podcasts, uh, including Two Guys, One Cup, which we've mentioned on our show a bunch of times. And alongside all of that, he's got a killer Ross Lyon impression that we'll see if he can bring out. We've also got a live Raw Deal event to review on top of all of that. And uh, if you thought the business stopped there, it doesn't because Mike Whiting joins me fresh from Damien Hardwick's first press conference as coach of the Suns. It is uh, fair to say it's all heating up, Mike. Hey, Dom. How are you? Exciting Monday for us as we record after an exciting week, topsy-turvy weekend. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. thought Friday night was big enough with Brisbane. Oh securing uh, themselves in second spot for the time being at least, but the weekend just got more and more wild. And then, mm. yeah, as you said, Dimmer made his first uh, appearance as a Gold Coast Suns coach on Monday, which I, I went down to this morning, and very exciting for the code up here. Yeah, look, I know we, we ruffle a few feathers when we talk too much Suns on this podcast. Some nah, people- plenty of plenty well, of little closet Suns second team people Oh, I think out there, you've got a bit of interest. And <laughs> I mean, look, to be honest, we go for an hour and a half, so we can, we can do a couple of minutes on the Suns. But I am curious. I mean, the the talks I've seen um, on Twitter, or X, as it's uh, no one's calling it. Um, Correct. Today, <laughs> <laughs> today have been around the, along the lines of this being the, the biggest moment for the Suns since Gary Ablett signing. Uh, is, is that your sense? Yeah, hard to argue. Yeah. I wasn't here or doing the job when Gary Ablett signed, but- been nothing bigger since, mm. that's for sure. Like a triple premiership coach, proven. He's a, So he's the fourth full-time coach the Suns have hired and they went with the first-timer in Guy McKenna, a first-timer in Stuart Dew, and in between they had Rodney Eade, who was proven to some extent but had made a grand final at a bunch of preliminary finals with the Western Bulldogs, the, the grand final coming with Sydney. But uh, Dimmer, three-time premiership mm. coach, he's just got – I don't know about every premiership coach, but he certainly has a bit of an aura around him. He's got a bit of swagger. He's got that confidence that probably borders on arrogance that comes with winning three flags. And He's very he, Gold Coast too, isn't he? He is. Do you feel that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, he is. He's just got the swagger about him. Yeah. So I, he walked into the room today and all the Suns players and staff were in there uh, during the press conference. And he got a massive round of applause. Obviously, the new players keen to suck up to the coach, you know, and <laughs> show them how excited they were to have him on board. But he does just have this uh, confidence around him. And you listen to him talk and he talks about playing brazen brand of football and up-tempo and play to the players' skills. And I was listening thinking, geez, mate, I'd like to get out there and play for you, just mm. listening to him talk. So, yeah, it's exciting for Gold Coast. Who knows, mate? It's all... It goes out the window come March 20 next year or whenever round one is. We we see what he's got on the field as a coach again. But very exciting at this stage for the Suns. And I'm already – I don't want to skip forward to the end of this season, but Q clashes and beyond will be super interesting next year. Well, and there's already been a lot of projections about is it going to be 2025 or 2026? When do you think they'll sack him? 
<laughs> Six-year contract. Six-year contract. Yeah. I, 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 sorry, when I saw that, I was like, whoa, know, that is- I know. They've now, really committed, haven't they? They've really- <laughs> Now, I don't know what- happens in terms of out clauses and what if he's a McMulthouse? Exactly. I don't think he will be, ne- but neither what do I, what if neither he do is. I. That's a fair oh. question. I look at it and just oh recoil a bit, wince yeah. a bit. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna sign a six year deal if there's a six month payout clause, but we're no. getting a bit off topic here, but I just yeah, that that blew me away. So well, big commitment, like big commit they wanted him and I I wasn't the the way Stuart Dew was sacked who I got quite close to Stewie eventually sort of later mm. in his tenure and like it was messy but I will give the Suns credit that they didn't think Stewie was the guy they sacked him mm. they did think Dimmer was the guy they went after him and got him they didn't run a fake process which I thought they would do <laughs> they just said Dimmer's the guy we want we're going to go and get him we're offering him a long-term deal and here's the vision of our club and they got him so hats yep. off they've got the man they want and now we see how it plays out and if they could write some notes up about how they've handled this, send them back in time to the Lions board of 2013. <laughs> exactly. That'd be really exactly. handy, actually, because <laughs> turns out it's good to have actually had a conversation with the coach before you yeah. make your big decisions about yeah. uh, about <laughs> what you're going to do with a football club. So anyway, those uh, those few weeks that we thought Paul Ruse was coming up north were great fun and well worth all the hype. Good fun. Almost 10 years ago to the day, <laughs> wasn't it? Like, that's almost 10 years ago. And look how far Brisbane's come well, since then it. after a very rocky couple of years that yeah. followed. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good times, look, good times since Chris Fagan came on board and just another chapter added to that on Friday night. You know, it was a really significant win, wasn't it? Look, there, there is a lot to talk through. And one qu- tiny quick question on the Suns because I love putting you on the spot with this stuff. Yeah. And it's always good to look back at this down the track. Uh, just totally unfounded gut feel. Will Damien Hardwick be the Suns' first premiership coach? Yes or no? And I can look back on it for decades to come. Give yes. me an answer. Yes. I'm excited, Dom. I'm okay. pumped up. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm buying into it. <laughs> I can't wait. Now, I I can't tell you when and I'm not going to because we know our record with the crystal ball, although (laughs) Although we're in form at the moment, but poor crystal ball form generally, and I'm not going to predict a year, but I think he said today they've got 80% of their premiership list. That's the way he sees it currently at the club. I tend to agree. I think they've got a very, they've got a lot of top end talent who've played a bunch of games together now, and I can see them improving and Let's see if he's the man. He's got. Uh, he's clearly got the hunger to continue coaching and to walk into this new group and this very talented group and take them all the way. Mm. So maybe it's more hope than knowledge on my behalf. But I, I and obviously I hope they go a long way. And whether that's a premiership, I guess we'll find out. But I think he's certainly got the capabilities of taking him that far. It would be thrilling. I mean, just for Queensland footy oh. to to see a, a Q Clash final or even a top four Q Clash with heavy stakes on the line. Amazing, It'd be Donald. awesome. All the Suns need is a few fans now, and then it would actually <laughs> have a bit of atmosphere to it. So, oh, just on the smug Brisbane <laughs> Lions supporter these days, <laughs> just a little bit of ribbing. I mean, look. To be fair, no, I like it. That's it. But that's honestly, yeah. I'm taking the you know what out of you, but. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great to have that top eight, top four clash yes. and that type of chat going on. Yeah, yeah. Really, no, totally. it would be. Well, because at the moment you can't – I haven't been able to lay into them for years because I pity them a little bit. Yep. <laughs> Whereas, you know, they get hard week in it. If they start winning, it's going to be hard to pity them and then you get to hate them. That's part yep. of the fun. I because think. Dimmer will walk around with the head wobble of and the smug arrogance and oh. Brisbane Lions fans will – grow to hate that very quickly. He's already just about my least favourite person in football <laughs> because you know my thoughts on Richmond. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. And for him to take the Tigers to three flags and the wins they had against us, I can't stand 
defend him. So uh, getting me hating the Suns, this is off to a flying start. So well done, Gold Coast, if that was your You've aim. You've got our listeners back on board already <laughs> after eight minutes of Suns chat. <laughs> there we go. Well, look, let's jump into, before we, we uh, chat, well, actually it was me, I got the chance to chat with Charlie Clawson yesterday. You were covering the Demons-Hawks game when I sat down with Charlie. Literally, it would have been less than 10 minutes after his Saints had their spot in the finals confirmed with West Coast's big win um, mm-hmm. that we sat down on Sunday afternoon for, for a chat. It was a, a fascinating conversation. You haven't even heard it back yet no, yourself. So uh, you'll get to, to listen to that one um, in real time, which is a lot of fun. We'll, we'll get to that shortly. We're going to start with a, a Friday night that feels like it quite rapidly has put Brisbane back in the premiership race in the, the eyes of the general footy public. Um, it always felt like most people had Brisbane pegged third, fourth, maybe fifth even in that premiership run. I think the last few days, Brisbane are now top two and uh, in most people's eyes of, of likely contenders. And um, a couple of people have said Brisbane really should be the favourites now if they don't have to. I mean, we've said it last week, Mike. They they don't uh, they don't lose from here and they make it to the grand final without leaving the state. It's a pretty good run here. Mm. Before we go to look at ramifications, Friday night itself, what, what was it that impressed you the most in their game? I like the bounce back from the midfield. That was the question mark we had going into the game. So that's one area I really liked, the Josh Dunkley, Lockie Neal, bounce back and that little bit of cohesiveness that it felt like had been missing since Will Ashcroft was out. Now, whether that's because of Will or coincidentally after Will um, left the team with his knee injury, I I don't know, but it was great to see what looks like the basis of the midfield going forward and they've got those rotations right and those combinations back. I also love just that they, excuse the cliche, but they just kept playing footy. Like mm. that last quarter when you thought, oh, Collingwood's two goals behind, what's going to happen now? They continued to attack. I love that. And you can see, and we've discussed this over recent weeks, that they've clearly learnt from that Melbourne final quarter. Now, that's not to guarantee that come finals time, if it gets tight in the fourth quarter, they're going to win. But mm. you can see that they've learnt first, you know, in games against Geelong, against Fremantle, against Adelaide. I know they just clung on against Adelaide, but we've seen elements in all of those games and we saw it again the other night, just in a different way that they continued taking the game on. So they're the, the things I loved about it. What, what about you? Oh, look, I, I agree with you on that front. I think the other th- the thing that probably made me most excited was we've been saying all year, we're probably saying for a bunch of years that that it seems winning a flag is about timing your run. Get, get all the fundamentals in place, but then actually time your run so you're playing your best footy when it matters. And of the top four, I think Brisbane now have the strongest case for doing that. I mean, Melbourne's case is, is okay, yeah. um, but I, I only okay. I mean, it was only two weeks ago they were down significantly to North Melbourne, um, you know, at halftime of that match. So I, I actually think Brisbane are, are really well placed now um, to, to have the run we've been waiting for. It actually feels a little bit to me, Mike, that um, all of these years have been leading specifically to this, that bit by bit by bit, Brisbane have tinkered with the things they needed to tinker with. And now in a year where there isn't another dominant contender out there, the Lions seemingly barring a shock on Saturday and not an enormous shock because the Saints are good, but still a shock on Saturday. It seems that they've finally got themselves primed and ready to go to, to have this tilt. Now, I mean, I said on Friday night, and we, we'll talk about the, the live ordeal event in a moment, um, which was an, an amazing night, but we're out at the, the outdoors in the Capacabana Club sort of beer garden looking out next to the Gabba, looking at the, the Gabba, and I'm looking at it going, realistically, Brisbane should be in the grand final now from here. I mean, you've, you look at their, 
their GABA record lately, and not just against the weaker teams, against every team that's come here. Collingwood and Melbourne this year, bar the lights out saga with Melbourne, didn't even really look close to Brisbane in those two games. Brisbane's record in recent years at the GABA has been extraordinary, less so in finals. That's but, that's a big point, though, Dom. Well, but this is my point. Surely that's not going to happen. I mean, if that happens again, if they lose one or oh, oh, what's, what's, two what, finals. Hang on, what's coming next? <laughs> if they look, what's coming? No, I'm just saying if they do, well, then knock down the stadium next week. Because oh, there we go. There we go. I was waiting for the if. There it is. Knock down the stadium next week. Don't wait, Queensland <laughs> government. Get into it now. Well, Stuff the ashes. Well, I, I totally. Who cares about that? My, my point is just to say, like, this incredible Gabba record, it would just be... If you then lose, if you lose any finals at the Gabba this year after having that record, let alone possibly lose two and go out in straight sets, I, I, that would be the biggest gut punch. And I just don't think they will. It, it will. It would be a massive gut punch. And I know you're not making it sound as simple as well. You just roll up to the Gabba and you win. Yeah. I know you're not making it sound that simple. Yeah, I think they'll win this Saturday against St Kilda and go into second mm. uh, or confirm second spot. I just think if they get. Melbourne first up, although it would be less likely. They'd be likely to get Port. Mm. Port's run them close at the Gabba a number of times. Uh, they smashed them, obviously, at the Adelaide Oval, which is a different kettle of fish. And round one is just so long ago. It, you can't say you disregard it, but it is mm. a, a little less weight put on that. And Brisbane's done well against Melbourne if it was Melbourne recently. But I look at those two teams and still think they got a lot of weapons. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I know you're not saying it's as easy to just roll up and win. If you're playing a top four team, if you're playing a third place team, or they're a damn good team, and yeah, Melbourne and Port haven't been as maybe as convincing as Brisbane, but I, I think maybe Port's got over their hump. They had a they had a losing streak. They then came back and destroyed GWS, who was one mm-hmm. of the form teams of the competition, and then they went over and won in Perth against Fremantle. So maybe they've turned the corner. They will beat Richmond this weekend. Yep, and. Melbourne, yep, they, yeah, I did, I did, I was lucky, lucky enough to cover that game <laughs> against Hawthorne yesterday. And yeah, they just did the job. It was only just a win. But I think Oliver's got a couple of games under his belt now. Petrarca seems like he's almost coasting at the end of the season. They'll probably get Tom McDonald back. Bailey Fritch comes back next week. I just think they are a different, there's a different proposition, and we haven't even mentioned Collingwood. Now they're not, they're not, they're not going to play Collingwood first week of the finals. Obviously. That'll be, that'll be the prelim. That would it could potentially it could potentially be, but yeah. I just think Collingwood's going to come again. I I really think they are. I just think that uh, they they were so far in front in first place for late in the season that it's just so hard to mentally stay engaged. They're human. Those players. They also lost you know a couple of their best players. I just think they're going to rally come finals time. They're going to regroup and go again. So I think Brisbane deserves to be one of. You know, potentially the favourite for the lot, and I tend to agree mostly with what you're saying, but I don't reckon there's much between those top four. Uh, look, no, I, I totally agree with you. And if everything was equal on paper, which I guess it is each season, it is all fresh, then then you'd, I'd probably say you're right. I just think the history of the last four years of what's happened to Brisbane in finals, and, and I think back to 2019 and going out in straight yeah. sets at the Gabba, and I think to 2020, you know, where there's the the grand final at the Gabba and they put up that pretty meek performance in the prelim and the heart maybe the worst maybe the worst performance in finals for Brisbane yep. I reckon that year yeah I mean 2020 prelim. it's that one or last year's yeah. just take your pick I, I guess, just thought but- last year Geelong was just 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Another level. That's a good point. But you look at all of those facts on the table, and, and the history does exist. It is there. You, I mean, it's happened. Like, you yeah. can't pretend that it's an equal season. Brisbane are going in. I mean, if you need any extra determination for that extra sprint, well, most of this group played in that 2019 loss to the Giants, that heartbreaker. Most of them played in 2021 against the Dogs. I mean, one of them was playing for the Dogs, but we'll leave that aside. <laughs> the, the point is to say, I, I just – okay, here's a bold claim that I hope I don't regret making. I can't see them losing at the Gabba again. Now, I don't know what's going to happen grand final day, but in my mind, Mike, we're there. Like, mm. and, and I know that we've joked on the show a lot about me being overconfident and whatever else, but I actually think Brisbane at the Gabba in this final series, all things considered, is the biggest, scariest ask of any possibility. If you were any other team, would you be more scared about Melbourne in Melbourne, Port Adelaide in Adelaide, Collingwood in Melbourne, or Brisbane at the Gabba? I think Brisbane at the Gabba is actually the scariest, hardest assignment that this final series will have for any team. Yeah, I agree with that. It's certainly it's the strongest home ground advantage, I guess, is what you're getting at. And yeah. maybe it depends on how things shake out this weekend in terms of who finishes second, third, and fourth and what order. And we're presuming here that Brisbane win, mm. which, as you rightfully pointed, won't be that easy. St Kilda certainly a team that's turned the corner in the past couple of weeks, and I know Geelong's fallen away a bit recently, but that winning down, you know, beating the Cats with the Cats season on the line that ain't easy. Mm. So the Saints have done a really good job there, but I expect them to win it and finish second. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we both picked Brisbane to make the grand final preseason. I'm not going to change that now. Like they're coming second, so I generally agree with what you're saying. I just, I just don't think it's going to be an an easy road oh, no, come no. finals time because these teams are, are reloading. Like the Melbourne are getting their players back. Collingwood are going to get their players back. They're, I'm talking about high-end injured players, sorry. And and Port, they, they actually, that Port have had injury tro- uh, problems as well. I think Brisbane would get Port if it was at the Gabba. Mm. We're projecting 40 here and skipping yeah. round 24, I know. But, but yeah, they're in a great spot. So to your point, if you had have said after round one or before round one, hey, you've got to beat St Kilda in the last round to lock up two home finals, you'd just leap on that. Yeah. And they've deserved every bit of well, it, Brisbane, and that win on Friday night franked it because, yeah, yeah. the Magpies were missing some some key players, no doubt, but that's still a, a, a terrific victory full of merit. Well, you look at, at the other two times we finished second and, you know, 2019 and 2020 in this run, 2019, it felt too soon. And and I remember Chris Fagan saying this after the Giants game that he'd hoped that maybe this group wouldn't have to go through the finals heartbreak that most teams do before they win a flag. He hoped they could have – It's for those who, who um, maybe don't remember it, it's well worth going back to find that press conference from after the Giants win because I think he probably foreshadowed a lot of what we're about to see. He made comments about how in his time in footy, teams have to have a few finals campaigns and heartbreak generally before they break through. We've seen this with the Cats um, probably most recently. We've seen it with the Demons. Uh, we saw it with Richmond. Richmond. That there, there there seems to be this thing where teams have a few cracks and fail. And even, we hope- even the Lions Premiership teams, Dom. Well, exactly yep. right. Yep. Right. So we hoped in 2019 that that maybe we could you know cut our way around that. We couldn't, and it happened to us. 2020, we finished second again, and at that particular point, you know, it's all in Queensland, and maybe possibly that did overinflate a tiny bit where Brisbane actually sat in the comp that year. It's really hard to say. Um, But either way, still second finals campaign, young list. Then a couple of years of battling a little bit harder in the finals, it's fair to say. Um, 
And now back we come to second. Back we come to this chance at two home finals. And I, I'm burning a lot of next week's talk topics um, potentially here, so I should save that. But but it does feel a little bit to me like in in the epic sort of, you know, Rocky-esque film, this feels like the, the last part of the film where after a few early wins, the challenger gets knocked down, sort of goes back to the, the amateurs and slowly works their way back. And then when they're back in that position, you know they're ready now. And, and so, look, I... I I've barely been able to sleep since Friday night's game. Mike, is that coming across that level of, <laughs> of enthusiasm? I just, I genuinely think the stage is set now. Now, if we lose by 10 goals to the Saints on Saturday night. Well, <laughs> like, you, <laughs> like, like, like they did to Melbourne last year, you mean? Yeah, like exactly yeah. like that. Yeah. Th- then maybe I'll reconsider my position. The but top four spot up for grabs last year in the final <laughs> round and pooped the bed and lost That's by it. 10 goals. But but to me, I mean, you've said all year that you the, the glaring weaknesses in Brisbane's list have all been fixed. The one question mark I still had was the two tall forwards thing, which, you know, we've, uh, for those who maybe don't know, we've, we've covered it once or twice, um, our belief that the Lions should have two tall forwards, not three. Uh, I, I think that's now seemingly addressed. They looked faster. They looked quicker. Their pressure was better on Friday night. Uh, to me, the stage is just set. And, and I'm, um, I'm struggling to focus on anything but the imagination of walking to the MCG on the 30th at the moment, Mike, to be completely honest with you. That's the difference between players and Dom. Encapsulated <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. in that one sentence. They, they say don't play the game in your head. I'm playing a no. month ahead. Yeah. Yep. In, in my head, I'm picturing one, who do I want to have the ball in the final play? One week at a time, Dom, or one month at a time for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I, I have no, I love No, I love the excitement. And I think everyone listening to this yeah. will concur with what you're saying. And they should. Mm. It's a time to be excited. Brisbane's just beaten the number one team in the competition I would say on their home deck, maybe not quite on their home deck, but in their yeah. home city at least. Yep. So they're in a great spot, Brisbane. The playing list is in reasonable health. Mm. Uh, there's question marks, obviously, over Link McCarthy and Callum Archie out of the weekend. We'll get to them in a moment. We'll yeah. get to them a bit later. But, yeah, the list is in pretty good shape relatively compared to other teams that they're jockeying with. And it's laid out for Brisbane now. And, yeah, I picked them to lose the grand final at the start of the year to Geelong, so – they're no longer an option. <laughs> <laughs> there so we go. By, so nothing so, in the way. So by default, <laughs> Brisbane wins, right? <laughs> Is, well, I mean, I'll ask you for a revised tip because obviously they can't lose to Geelong. Do you right. still have them losing the grand final or do you? are you starting to – is your tip starting to edge towards a win? It's, it's – Edging towards a win. Oh, yes. Oh, it, it is. The pragmatist is coming on board yeah. too. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> oh, if I'm, if it's gun to the head, which hopefully no one ever puts a gun to my head for <laughs> footy know. tips, although I must say I am winning the AFL.com.au <laughs> footy tipping. Well, then you know what you're talking comp about. With a little flex. Yep. I, I mean, you would lean towards Brisbane mm. winning the matches at the Gabba, as you've perfectly illustrated earlier in our chat. So mm. with that in front of them, it's reasonable to expect that Brisbane's a good chance of making the grand final and it's half the battle, right? Yeah. <laughs> it gets you down to two teams. So yeah. um, I, it's not going to be straightforward, but yeah, they've, oh. they've done a great job. So, and I, yeah, two tall forwards. We don't have to harp on that any longer. We've, we've expelled, uh, we've explained its virtues for, for week after week and we've seen it in action now. So mm. vindication. <laughs> I think so. For, for one week at least. Well, the one thing that <laughs> shocked me with the two tall forwards was the fact that, Darcy Fort wasn't the sub. Now, oh, same here. Coming it actually the, shocked me. Yes, yeah. Coming into the event on Friday night, and uh, we'll talk a bit about more about that shortly, but Richie Fort was actually one of the, our guests there, Darcy's dad, and I had a chat with Richie about an hour before, maybe an hour and a half before bounce. So we're still half an hour or so away from um, teams being lodged. 
And I said, so do you know, is, is Darcy the sub? Assuming he'd say yes. And he actually didn't know. He, he said, Darcy may not have found out yet. So he, he didn't know himself yet. And, um, and, but the assumption I think we all had was that that was how it was going to play out. And then I, we see JL. I almost wasn't, I almost wasn't going to check. Well, don't, you had to tell me. Yes. You yeah. told me. I just wasn't going to check because I assumed it was going to be Darcy Fort. Yeah. So, and this raises a really big question now because is this the model they're going to take going forward? Do you think, I mean, Jared Lyons is a pretty good sub to be able to bring and someone. did really well, Jay, I've got to say. And it, it made me think, imagine yeah. it's late in a final. You know, prelim final at the Gabba, it's late, it's neck and neck, it's a contested midfield battle. Being able to sub in a fresh Jared Lyons midway through the third quarter, that that's a pretty handy asset to have. Sort of a guy who can who you know can win you some contested ball, who you know might get 15, 20 touches in a quarter and a half of footy. That's a pretty handy asset to have. Do you think I don't know, do you think that might be the the approach from here or or do you expect that they might go back to the Darcy Fort sub situation? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think they'll go just one way the rest of the way, I guess. Mm. Uh, I'm not. I'm still not convinced JL, although a su- using him as a sub lessens the likelihood of exposing his one weakness, which is his ability to run and cover the ground. And that really rears its head at the MCG. Yes. Bigger sp- or a wider ground, more space to cover, uh, more territory to transition defensively, and that's where you might have a question mark over JL, that's less of a factor when you're only playing, you know, 30% of the game time maybe or 40% as a sub. But I really did like what he did the other night. He couldn't have really done more. Mm. On my one watch of the game, like when we watched it live on Friday night, that I didn't think he could have done much more. So it opened my eyes to a possibility that maybe him, but I still think Darcy Fort's not a bad option. I, yeah, I still I, think I he's agree. probably the – He'd probably be my preferred option well, in the, the current structure of the team with the two tools. Here's the question. So Chanel sent this through to me on, on Twitter. She tweeted or X'd this through. Um, I don't think it's happening, Elon. Sorry. No, um, Chanel sent this through saying, "Is uh, I read a theory online that maybe the, uh, the game slows down enough by the third quarter that JL, when he's fresh, kind of matches the rest of the game and his strengths are able to, to be on display. Do you think there's anything in that idea? Potentially, like it's not a bad theory. I don't have the data to back it up. It doesn't look like the game slows down a ton, to be honest. But there, there could be something in it. I'm sure they're not going as fast in the last five minutes as they are in the first five. To Chanel's point, Chanel, yeah, to Chanel's point. So, um, yeah, that's not a bad theory. I, I could wear that. Well, uh, taking you into the Raw Deal Live event briefly on Friday night. Thank you again so much to the people who came along. What a night! It's an awesome. I night. know we're we're talking yeah. here to. 80 people that went or 85 yes. people that went and there's a couple of thousand people listening to our show. So sorry if we indulged for a bit. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, I mean, we got to we got to thank those who did show up because it was an awesome it was time. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. And, and uh, we are in some back-end conversations about bringing something to Melbourne should the Lions make the grand final. So stay tuned for that, Victorian fans. You may only have a few days' notice to jump in and book your spot for that though. So uh, you'll you'll have to – I mean, that, that will certainly be emergency pod territories, Mike. If the Lions oh, yeah. qualify for a grand final – we might be recording that night. I don't even know how soon we'd turn that around, but wouldn't be long. Over overthink. a block of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Celebratory cheese. Beautiful. But but we should mention, look, it was an awesome night. Dan and the team at the Capacabana Club put on an awesome spread. Um, the, the whole evening had such a lovely vibe to it. Um, 
the Lions trivia questions we came up with might have been too hard. Maybe a fraction hard <laughs> in hindsight, weren't they? Well, what you got 80-something absolute diehard Lions fans in the room, 15 questions, and the winner got seven right. Yeah, so. And I actually thought they did well to get seven. <laughs> I think I so was too. chatting to someone after, and I said, I reckon I would have got four or five maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so look, next time we do that. We'll, we'll dial it back, guys. Apologies. We'll throw a few easier ones in there. Uh, I can't believe they didn't know how many – Irish players had played a <laughs> game for the Brisbane Lions. <laughs> yeah, look, maybe we went a little bit over the top there, but it was an awesome night. The only shame was Mike Whiting refusing to copy Devin Robertson and rip the shirt off for the, <laughs> yeah. for the second half of the evening. But apart from, I mean, that was that was one of the most fascinating things in terms of how that's blown up in the few days since then. I'm rec- I, I've been receiving messages from friends who've never watched the Lions, never been interested, saying, who's Devin Robertson? <laughs> Because it's been a, everywhere. It has been, and I had a look. So I don't have TikTok, which I'm sure it's probably even bigger on. Yeah. I've got Instagram. I saw that he had 11,000 followers prior to the incident, and when I checked earlier today, he had 40,000. <laughs> 41,500 right So it's grown 600 <laughs> since I last, which was about two hours ago. Wow. So he's almost quadrupled his Instagram following. And I, what I love uh, what Dev's done here, he hasn't put a post up about it no, on Instagram. No, <laughs> that's even That's just as much of a flex yes. as the actual <laughs> jumper off itself, I reckon. Just pretending it didn't happen. Yep. Moving on. Yep. 100%. It would be a bizarre few days for him because you think about it. I mean, to normally go up like that, if he played the most phenomenal last quarter in a grand final and got the Lions over the line, won the Norm Smith, he wouldn't go up 30,000 in Spanish. No. <laughs> so this, this absolute boom onto the national stage prominence, like that that's something that will never happen really again in no. his career. It's this bizarre escalation. And um, I, I hate to think what his direct messages would look like on Instagram <laughs> right now as they're all coming through. But I mean, has, has his contract price bumped up directly yeah, from this yeah. mic? <laughs> A few advances from the ladies and gents out there that fancy that type of uh, <laughs> rig. Oh, no, look, good luck bizarre. to him, mate. If I had a, mate, if I had a rig like that, mm. I probably would have taken my shirt off on Friday night, <laughs> but I don't, so I decided to spare everyone there. <laughs> well, look, the, we were talking at the game about memories of of clothes mm. disappearing in in lines matches, and I had the the memory. I think it was last year that Hippie lost his boot mm. for about ten minutes and couldn't get the boot back to him in time, so he's running around in a sock and a boot for for about ten minutes. What was the one you mentioned? Joel Corey, I reckon it was. 2008, 2009, running around in his underpants mm. for a good solid 90 seconds, I reckon. Yep. I can't remember why he got dacked and then he was just running around in, in his jocks and his jumper for Geelong. So that's one that sticks out for me. <laughs> but, yeah. but Devs was quite something. So, yeah, good luck to him. Of all the Lions players that you've dealt with along your time at the club, who do you reckon would be dirty that they never got the chance to have their jersey ripped off the oh, most? Oh, this is a question. I'm going to come back with an answer later in the show. Okay, later that, in the that's show. A, that's a, yeah. <laughs> but I reckon, honestly, and a few people have said this, it's half tongue-in-cheek, but only half. Mm. I don't think he would have been disappointed. Yes. No, he didn't nah. seem to be in a rush, did he? No. Nah. <laughs> He's got a quiet confidence about himself, Dev. Yeah. No, it was <laughs> it was absolutely fascinating. But look, uh, I think he'll probably hold his spot, um, you'd think, especially with the injuries. So yeah. he's primed himself for another shot at a finals campaign like he got last year. We'll, we'll talk more about that when we preview the Saints shortly. Um, question for you, though, Mike, uh, that, that sort of touches on something we covered last week about all Australians, where I think we both said Joe Danaher and Harris Andrews are locks in the team for us, um, most likely. Both did them, their cases. Yep, they're a, both. A good service on Friday night. Pretty, pretty solidly locked in there now. The thing we both did say, though, was that Lockie Neal and Charlie Cameron, with a, a strong final two games, 
probably put themselves in there again. Mm. Um, my sense is that Charlie's back in it now and Lockie is just about there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to sit down and write the team down, but I agree with your premise. Like Lockie's mm. on the – both those guys were on the edge for us, right? Yeah. Both those yep. guys were on the edge. So, And without giving away our votes, it's fair to say that Lockie features in them yep. and that Charlie's close. If he not, features in mine. If not featuring yes. in them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've had really good performances on Friday night in a in a big game, and mm. some those maybe they shouldn't, but performing on a Friday night stage or a Thursday night stage just does. I, I would imagine linger in the selectors' minds a bit, yeah, close and and late in the season too. If you're at a tiebreaker between I don't know Charlie Cameron and Luke Bruce, or mm. I'm not sure who else might be in contention for that small forward, but. You're gonna think, yeah, Charlie did kick four against the Pies on Friday night when they needed a win. Like if you if you're after a tiebreaker, it's a pretty good reminder to be thrown up to the selectors. So yeah, yeah. Without looking at the whole team, I I probably agree with you. I still think Lockie's like a real fringe, real fringe. As in uh, one more good, he needs another good game. I reckon. I think and, so too. And Charlie, yeah, might just be sneaking. He's okay. Well, Form aside, Charlie is the best small forward in the comp. Yeah. End of story. It's yep. just how you gauge his season and whether you ding him for that six-week slow patch that he's just sort of come out of. Well, I've got the goal-kicking leaderboard here in front of me now. He is currently sitting – he's the sixth-leading goal-kicker in the comp this year, Charlie. Uh, 51 goals now. Puts him uh, five goals behind Toby Green, who you'd think is a lock as Toby's well. just a different type of forward. A different type he's, of forward. He's, but he's a lock, as you said. The other four ahead of him are Jeremy Cameron, Nick Larkey, Taylor Walker, and Charlie Kerno, who are all talls. Yeah. So Who else we got just behind him? Just Bru- behind Bru- him? Brewster's kicked about 45, I think. Uh, Brewster's 45. Bang on. Bang How on. do you? <laughs> well, that's, I guess you did cover the Hawks game yesterday, but still, I, what I are you doing, hear, Mike? Yeah, I know. I mean, so Charles has six more goals than Luke Bruce. Yep. Um, you throw in there, Kyle Langford's got 50. Yeah. And he's another hybrid type of yeah. player. He's a bit of a Toby Green. Mm. I mean, a bit taller than Toby. But. Really, to get to another uh, specialist small forward, you've got to go quite a way down to Tom Papley with 37 goals. So yeah. um, I reckon Charlie's, yeah, Charlie's in there. probably in on that. I think he's in that now. So the question looking at this is whether or not Joe is, because Joe's got 49 goals, but you've got Charlie Kerr now with 75 and Taylor Walker with, with 67. It's but- that... that they back up ruck role. That's what it? it is because that's yeah. you got to think. Joe probably spends of his time on the ground. Would he spend twenty percent of his time in the ruck? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I mean, that's that probably. Oh, who knows? It might have cost him ten goals or fifteen goals mm. just if he played as a, uh, a full time full forward as opposed to an eighty twenty forward ruck combo. So yeah, I still think he should be in there. He's had a I agree. terrific year. So those two guys and and Joe would be the three tall forwards for me. Toby yep. Green. Uh, Charlie Cameron and yeah, I don't know. Maybe Luke Bruce. Maybe Luke Bruce. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, we'll see. That'd be a midfielder that plays half forward, probably. Yeah, fascinating one there. Uh, and and look, just before we get to our votes, the people at the event on Friday night have already heard these. We did these right after the game, which was uh, a lot of fun. Before we all sat down and tuned into Roaming Brian together, and I uh, got to hear from Rod Lester, who had a really strong one. <laughs> Rod, good old Surely Rod. Surely, I can't wait to go to the Lions tomorrow morning <laughs> and see if that's caught on yet. <laughs> Surely, it's. Oh, you'd think but so. But Frog Frog is so ingrained as a nickname, though. So maybe it's hard. It's going to be hard to change to Rod. But I'm sure a few people would be calling him that. Do you reckon just just on Roaming Rod. Brian? You're, I know. You remember how, how Brian was trying to find Dev Robertson to give him the yep. ripped off jersey and, and Dev wouldn't come out. 
Uh, I did have someone suggest to me the theory that maybe that's because Dev has sort of a blanket media ban at the moment when the contract stuff's coming up because there was that story that maybe he toured West Coast facility and and something along those lines. Do you reckon Dev didn't want to run the risk that after a bit of banter around the, the jumper, BT goes, so I hear you toured West because he, he would BT. I hear you toured West Coast facility. What's going on there, Dev? Well, do you reckon that's why? I'm not sure, but I do um – I could be made to look like an idiot once this comes out and people hear what I'm saying. But yeah. uh, on our news list, the AFL.com news list, so on Monday we normally have a meeting, which mm. I wasn't part of today because I was at Damien Hardwick, but there's a list of stories that are going to come out during the week, whatever. And and I've um, on our list, our man, one of our men in Melbourne, Josh Gabalich, has got on the list here that he's spoken to Dev Robertson and that story will run on Monday night. So oh. if, it's, if you're listening to this, you probably read it and if you – <laughs> and if it hasn't been on there, I'm going to be made to look stupid here and, <laughs> and given away a confidence that I shouldn't have given away. But let's roll with it and mm-hmm. um, we'll see what Dev's got to say there. Fascinating. <laughs> what's, your, what's your gut feel on that one? Oh, my gut feel is... Which might be hilarious uh, if we have an answer by yeah, the time uh, you said this. But as, as in his, stay con- or go. his contract? Stay or go. I reckon he might stay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I hope so. I don't, that, that is purely a gut feel. That is not reporting. That is not. That's just a gut feel. Uh, yeah. And I was leaning towards Kai Loman probably the other way, probably going. Yeah, but he might if he gets a chance now. That's and what takes I wonder it, with him on. Ugh. Imagine if he has a big finals campaign, kicks yep. a few goals in each game. You know, just on the the hype alone, you'd resign. You, you would think <laughs> so. That'll be an interesting one. There, uh, we'll get to some more of that chat when we preview the Saints shortly. Right now though, Mike, it is time to don the tuxedos and give our votes in the most prestigious award in the AFL. Well, uh, this coming weekend is going to be the last of normal vote tallies before they double for the first few finals. Uh, I'll rattle through mine, then you through yours. I went Charlie Cameron, the one, Dane Zorko, the two, and Lockie Neal, the three. Kitty Coleman, the one for me, Dane Zorko, the two, and Lockie Neal, the three. Yep. Well, look, I think we've chatted a bit about Charlie already, and um, what we're seeing there in all the names we mentioned, really, are players returning to form yep. um, and players who Brisbane desperately need in form to be a finals you know, threat. And I'd actually go as far as to say, and I think I said this to you at the game on, on Friday night, I had written off more or less the chance that Dane Zorko could be a, a genuine component of a premiership tilt this year. I thought I thought he could be a, a reasonable role player, but what we saw from Zorko on Friday night was incredibly exciting. If if he can find that again for the next month of footy, just one last burst mm. of Dane Zorko, that that does change Brisbane as a threat. I hope, and I'm pretty sure I held the line with Zorko most of the time about yeah. his importance at the club, and yeah, he was terrific on Friday night, and... Uh, what might play into his favour in the Brisbane's hopeful run to a premiership is that they play St Kilda the week off. Then if they play a qualifying final, if they win that, they get a week off. I think those things might help Zorko to avoid those overload, those overuse injuries, the hamstring, the calf, the yeah. problems that he's had. Where it might be a hindrance to other players, I think the older he gets, the the week off here and there might might be a good thing for him. But he was fantastic the other night, and we got to see the best of Dane Zorko, the quick decisions. Like, he just plays on any chance he gets. Mm. Sometimes I reckon he gets the ball. I'm not saying this happens often, but sometimes I don't think he knows what he's going to do, but he can make his mind up so quickly, and he executes with those. Now, whether it's a 20-meter pass or a 50-meter kick to space for a leading forward, 
we saw the best of that the other night. And he's just such a great link between the midfields and forward line. Him and McCluggage and probably Kitty Coleman, who, who I gave a vote to as well, are the guys you want kicking yes. from the centre of the ground forward, aren't they? Totally. And look, I, I think um, – Oh, am I going to go with this? Yeah, I'll go with this. Why not? I've been wrestling Mike after Will Ashcroft did his knee and he was my pick for the Norm Smith medalist. Mm. Who would be Bruce Brisbane's Norm Smith medalist instead of Will? Oh, my tip is Zork. He, he's a sneaky yeah, – Nor- he's got a bit Norm Smith about him, yep. doesn't he? Interesting because it, it it kind of played in a – I can't believe I'm saying this. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that the 34-year-old played similarly to the 19-year-old. <laughs> but he, just that little – like yes, that was where yes. – I think that – the Ashcroft out of the midfield, out of the midfield thing, and what impact it's had. Most of it with Will, it's not the centre bounces, and he got a handful of clearances a game. But it was his ball use forward of centre. He's such mm. a clever ball user, Will, and great vision. And obviously, Zork's been doing that for twelve years or thirteen years or however long he's been in the system now. But it just looked like that the other night. Like, oh yeah, that Zork's doing the same stuff, maybe a little bit better, but he's doing similar stuff to what Ashcroft did and that's almost the role he took over. That's the way yeah. it felt to me. So interesting you'd pump for him as your man on grand final day now. So, uh, And Lockie Neal, the three, we're both giving Great. him two. Yeah. Um, now the AFL Brownlow predictor now has him in second place. One vote behind Nick Dacos, who obviously isn't going to play the final round, and two ahead of the other contenders, Bontempelli and Butters he's just, he's, and Hasn't he got a – isn't – Lockie Neal's season so fascinating. Bizarre, bizarre. Yep. Like he is a genuine Brownlow contender. Uh, I don't think he's going to win it. Neither do I. But he is a he is a genuine contender. I mean, if he gets three more votes on Saturday, who knows, right? Mm. I guess it's all open. Um, it would be a, a bit of a surprise Brownlow, but he should have won it last year, so maybe it all evens yeah. out in the end. It hasn't felt like a Brownlow medal season from Lockie Neal. No. Um, but that's the sort of player he is, you know, and what we saw on Friday night is that even after this month where he hasn't played well and Chris Fagan said after the game that he offered Lockie the, the chance to have a rest, that's how much Lockie was a bit battered and bruised and he's had the flu. And still, despite all of that, here he sits in the Brownlow predictor in second spot as the second best player in the competition. It's an amazing testament to, I guess, his, his consistency that even when he's off, He's not never that far off. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but so that's our the the Brownlow predictor is the one that we do. so after every game we give the three two one whichever journo's covering the game gives the three two one yeah and I'm sure I've said this before we we got told at the start of the season you got to vote like you think it's going to be voted in the Brownlow don't vote how you think it should be voted on yes yes vote like the umpires in other words. Bias towards the midfielders because that's generally how the award's voted on. So Mm. that's how we've been instructed to vote, which makes sense. We're trying to give an indication to the fans out there how we think the Brownlow will unfold, we as in the collective journos. But Lockie's one of those guys that if Brisbane wins, you look to his – like he's probably going to get three votes often. Yes. I think you say it doesn't feel like a Brownlow year because I reckon without looking at his numbers in front of me, I reckon he would have had six games where he's had – 22 disposals or less. Yeah, yeah. But yep. he's had, you know, 10 games where he's had 30 plus and eight clearances or something, like really dominant games and mm. where he's going to poll highly. We know that the umpires like him and that they notice what he does. So there's a big discrepancy between his best and his worst this year. More more better than worse, I've got to, to clarify. But, yeah, when he plays well, he's going to get votes. So 
Well, I can tell you, look, he's comfortably leading the Raw Deal medal at the moment. And I say that because I think there's a few finals for him to get pipped. But I'll I'll tell you this because I think, you know, um, transparency is the whole thing of the new Raw Deal. Lockie Neal is currently 15 votes ahead of the second place person in the Raw Deal medal. Uh, It does surprise me. Yeah, Yeah. it does. So maybe that shows he's had a better season than we've given him credit for. But when we tally these votes in, we have him on 43 votes and then Joe Danaher on 28 and Josh Dunkley on 26. Because I so the as an extension of that, and maybe we're burning topics for next week, which we shouldn't <laughs> do. But I, I'm fascinated to see uh, best and fairest night for Brisbane. Yeah, because yep, I don't yep. think he'd be in front on the best and fairest count. Interesting. I think he might be third or fourth. Hmm. It would be very tight. No, I'm not saying this is it's not a knock on him, but it probably just goes to show he. I feel like he's had higher highs this year. Yeah. But there's been other players that across 22 matches now have been a fraction more consistent. Well, maybe he's primed himself for an amazing he final month, yep. Hey? Yep. So it was a decade ago that he did play in a grand final as the sub for Frio. Mm. Uh, obviously losing side that day, young man, Lockie back then, but but uh, maybe a decade on he gets the chance to come back and, uh, and get his glory there. Uh, well, let's look ahead to the Saints um, on uh, Saturday night. Now, there's a bit of a weird, cruel irony to the fact that it was against the Saints that Eric Kipwood did his knee a couple of mm. years ago, and now it's against the Saints he plays his 150th. Uh, they seem to be a bit of a pivotal team for, for Hippie to, to come up against. Um, before we get to the Saints side of things, I mean, we spoke about Hugh's 150th, uh, was it last week, the week before, and how we were um, that sort of shocked us. Hippies feels about right yeah. to me in his, his the trajectory of his career. He's been here for quite a while now, two years, I think, longer than – is it two years longer than Hugh? I think that's right. Yeah, I think – I think that's 2015 right. draft yep. or 20, oh no, oh, no one, one, year, so one, one year one year longer but and he missed one with the knee that's it yeah true <laughs> yeah. but it, he um it does feel as though hippie's been part of the furniture for a while now from remembering um in you know those very early days sort of the, the more gangly footballer mm. that we saw who gave us occasional highlights and the uh the buddy franklin comparisons that everyone loved to make <laughs> at that stage in in history um to to 150 games on where he still is a bit of a, a gangly mm. kind of player but uh has put together a a pretty phenomenal career to to this point i think to be honest a really underrated career um, externally. I, I feel like there's this sense that one day Eric Hipwood might might take this step forward into a realm that I think he's kind of already in. Like he's not the in the top three key forwards in the comp, no. but he's definitely in that next tier. I, I loved what we've seen from him in recent weeks. I think at the function on Friday night, we had a quick chat at halftime for everyone yes. to listen. It wasn't just between me and Dom, but – and we were talking about which players we wanted to see mm. lift or have a big second half. And I went for a, probably an obvious one as a Lockie Neal and thought because that's where Brisbane was going to win the game. They needed to continue dominating clearances and get the ball forward. And you said Eric Hipwood, and that's yeah. the way it panned out. Yes, Eric yeah. had a big third quarter, pretty good second half. He also did that against Fremantle a few weeks ago. I thought he mm. had a very a big last quarter against them. I've lo- I love seeing Eric... What's his attributes as a forward? It's not his his aerial prowess and crashing packs, although he has to do that. Just and because he's done it's not it a bit pro- this year. He do- he does, and he has to continue to do it. It's yes. just, and when there's only two of them, yes. not that Jack Gunston was crashing packs, but <laughs> yeah. you've only got two of them. You've got to be an aerial threat. But it's his uh, speed and willingness to get up to a wing, take marks on the lead, wheel around. Mm. He's a pretty good field kick. Use some of your attributes, mate, and we've seen that in in recent weeks, and I've loved that part of his game. And really, I reckon, I mean, he hasn't been to Joe's level this year, but after they both got a bake 
externally following that Bulldogs game in yeah. round three. Yeah. He's had he's had a really good year as well. I'm with you there. I yeah. reckon he's had uh, – and I think this year, to your point, he's been un- underrated certainly this year. Well, and I, I go back – I mean, you, you always want with your, your key forwards for them to have that sort of clutch element to them. Mm. We spoke about this with Joe Danaher uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, or maybe that was last week. But I think back to Hippie in that particularly early against Richmond last year – when mm. Richmond were getting a bit of – anytime Richmond would get a bit of a run, I think there were two pretty incredible long-range goals that he kicked that just put Brisbane ahead. And and I think we're, we're pretty fortunate at the moment that we seem to have two key forwards in him and Joe who have matured into players who, who want to and are able to stand up when you really need them to. Um, I, I mean, if, if Eric Kipwood has a shot from 50 out basically on the boundary in a grand final, you'd almost back him to kick mm. it now. He, he, he seems to have shown the ability to stand up in those moments. So, um, look, amazing uh, career so far for Hippie. Hopefully it's all just beginning. And, you know, we talk about, remember, to 150 games, he'd had no premierships. Yeah. To 220, he's had three. Yeah. Um, that's just a bit of a crystal ball forecast there or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, but going to be phenomenal to, to celebrate with him. And then, um, as we've, we've sort of floated already, the first final, hopefully at the Gabba, Charlie Cameron's 200th. So we'll yeah. touch on that. Speaking of pretty brilliant careers, we'll touch on that in a couple of weeks' time. Um, let's look at the Saints then, Mike. They are the team famous for their their defence under Ross Lyon again. Uh, he's come back in, he's shipped, you know, got the ship in order and, and, and basically taken a team that I don't think anybody had in the top eight in their preseason predictions. I'd love to go through them, but I, I, I'd be shocked if any – any pundit had St Kilda in the eight in their preseason predictions, and here they are. They're locked in with a game to go. It's it's been a pretty remarkable effort. Incredible. Like they haven't. I don't think they've been below sixth the whole season. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe like a few about a month ago or six weeks. Ago, I watched them play Gold Coast, and they were awful. And Ross Lyon gave them he gave them a real cook actually in his post. One of the better, probably the best post match press conference I've sat in this year at least. Mm. And he was not backwards in criticising his team. Basically said there wasn't enough talent on the list, like behind the senior player, there wasn't much there. And I thought, geez, he has gone pretty hard here. Obviously drives some very hard standards, Ross, but it's worked. Like they've turned yeah. their form around. They've had a shocking run with injuries from the start of this year, like all credit to what they've been able to do. And now they're – like they are coming here. So some people put the theory to me on via social media that – Maybe the Saints being locked in is a good thing for Brisbane. I'm like, no, they're they're playing for a home final here. Yes, yeah. fifth or sixth, they're playing for a home. F- it's either that, or in all likelihood, if they lose to Brisbane, they're probably travelling to Sydney to play either the Giants or the Swans in week one of the final. So I know what they'll want. Yeah, and Ross Lyon isn't. <laughs> hey, despite the fact that he has previously, which I know you'll get to, uh, <laughs> has previously rested everyone in the final round of a season, he won't be doing that this weekend. They want to win and they want that home. They want to stay in Melbourne, obviously, and mm. they're back to the footy that got them in this position at the start of the year. They got off to a quick start start of the year and they, they got back to that in the last few weeks. Well, I, I will talk – I did talk about this with Charlie Corsa, you know, Ross being the guy who gave us the pre-finals <laughs> by might he do it again. I should also mention a bit of a language warning for my chat with Charlie. Um, so if you do have young ears around when we get to that in a moment, maybe save that part of the pod to listen to when it's just you. There are a couple of choice words that Charlie drops at stages. So a bit of a heads up there. But, but it has been a remarkable effort um, from Ross to be able to get them to this point especially, and, and this seems to be Ross's preferred way of doing it, but with a list that isn't laden with superstars, mm. um, you look at what who they've done it off the back of, and it does feel a little bit like someone's put a, 
a VFL list into the the seniors just of hungry, mature players and said, have a crack, see what happens. Because I looked through their list and probably a third of them, I barely recognise the names. That's system, isn't it? Yeah. Like he's got a system, Ross, and it's been successful for 15 years or mm. thereabouts as a senior coach at St Kilda, then Fremantle and now back at St Kilda again. So and they, like I touched on before, they've they had a ton of injuries this year to – to key players and they've just got Max King back, which is yeah, yeah. he's missed a massive chunk of this season and is a difficult, difficult matchup. We've seen him kick goals in recent weeks and uh, they've got Rowan Marshall in the row. They've got, they've got enough weapons in key parts of the ground. So yeah, they're, I don't think if you were to rate the team lists in order, they'd feature very highly. Mm. <laughs> so it's a real credit to not just Ross, but the players, they've got to buy into his vision and, yeah. and execute what he wants. And they've, They've done that and they will not be easy because they'll make it difficult for Brisbane to score. Probably not a, a bad thing for the Lions, by the way, as well. Another good test. That, well, and the fact that uh, Melbourne and Port both got their wins means yep. Brisbane has to win to hold second spot. And we have seen with this group, and we've spoken about the emotional side of the group or whatever before, but I think Brisbane having something real to play for probably helps from a Lions point of view as totally. well. Um, so that's very exciting. Let's look at the the injury situation as we record here. It's now um, early evening on a Monday night. I've been refreshing the Lions website, Mike, but no, uh, no. medical news just yet. So the uh, let's assume that Cal Archie and Link McCarthy don't play. Um, if they do, disregard what we're about to say here. But let's assume they both need a week off to recover, um, but everyone else is right to go. What are the changes that you see happening? For, Makes for those it difficult, two? doesn't it? Because yeah. they're two players from... Or essentially the same part of the ground. Yep. With Link and Cal's been playing hybrid half forward wing, so mm. difficult to see how they cover that. Like, there's no obvious like for like, is there? Like a well, half no. a half forward wing. I mean, my sense yeah. is Cal will probably play. Yes, same here. I, I, and I Link feel will probably miss. Well. Yes, that's yep. right. I'm I'm almost certain Link will miss. Sure. Because if okay. you've got a calf problem, even though they seem to indicate it wasn't super serious after the match. You're not going to flirt with that, are you, when you've got a final yes. around the corner? Yes. So, I mean, it's Kai Loman's the obvious one. Yep. I think he has to come in. Has to be. And he played very well in the VFL as well. Um, Kai in a, a strong win for them, cementing a top four spot against all the odds for, for the VFL boys over the weekend. So, I think Kai comes in for Link. If Kel does miss, what are you doing? What it, what, I'll ask you. Uh, that's not fun. No, no, no it's not fun. <laughs> You're not um, going back to three tools, are you, Dom? No way in hell. Uh, I'm, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no obvious I'm replacement. Probably, I, I haven't. I didn't see the VFL on the weekend, so I don't know who's. Yeah. Look, who's, I'm probably going Harry Sharp. Yep. To be honest, uh, would be my my gut. He's feel. the wingman that's been in good form. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think I'd give give Harry a go. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Jared Lyons got a permanent gig and they shuffled things around. I would be shocked and disappointed if they went with a, th a third tall, if Darcy Ford yep. or something came in. But I don't think I don't think after what we just saw that they're going to do that. So my sense is Harry Sharp's probably the one. The the other one that we've seen actually be surprisingly. Um, it, I'd say surprisingly potent in front of goals is ja um, Jackson Pryor at stages. Mm. So, I mean, it's a different role to the one he's played, but I wouldn't be shocked if they brought Jackson in to do that. A um, bit more of a defensive forward. And he he's not bad in front of goals, Jackson Pryor, and he's been pretty good in his recent efforts. So for me to be Harry Sharp or Jackson Pryor, and actually the more I think and talk it through, I'm actually going to Jackson. So yeah. I, I'm going to lean that way to, to bring Jackson in and whether he, 
you shuffle others around it. I don't think so. I think it's a pretty settled mix outside of that. So I'd say Jackson, you're coming in, you're playing that forward role. Um, have a shot at, shot at some goals. You know his defensive pressure is going to be top notch and um, and see what he can do there. Yeah, it's real tricky. And it's funny, I hadn't, I honestly hadn't given this much thought before, before I came in because I think, I'm with you, I think Cal will play. Mm. I'm sure he's really sore, but... Ex- they get the extra day this time. They've got eight days to sort through things. I'm sure he won't do a ton of training on Tuesday and I'll leave him up to being tested on Thursday. That would be my sense anyway. So mm. it's funny how you get a couple of injuries in one part of the ground and it thins out pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it does. I mean, there's other players. Like like I said, I haven't seen the VFL on the weekend. I had other commitments, but um, like Nakaya Cockatoo is probably a player that's in that, in that mould who has been used all over the ground. But – the depth thins out very quickly. Yes. Um, and yeah. like Shadow Brain has been playing in the back line recently and he's a, probably a guy that was drafted as a half forwards, but that's not really an option anymore. Yeah. Um, as a wild card, I'm talking here, just other players that could fit that mould. So, And we have seen yeah. them love to throw a debut late in the season yep. last year uh, with Darcy Wilmot. So it's not beyond the realms, but – No, I just, I'm just – Thinking through, the, he was a guy that's drafted as a forward and a clever yeah. forward, or, and but has been playing in defence in recent weeks. So yeah, it's an yeah. interesting one, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. fascinating. We'll see what uh, emerges, but I think probably when we get to Thursday night, that the most likely scenario is McCarthy out, Loman in, and uh, and then Kyle Loman. Here's your stage. Here's your chance. You kick a few big goals, and uh, and you're going to make a bit of a headache for the coaching staff yeah. to see you know, what they do going forward from there, especially if Link's injury turns out to be a couple of weeks longer mm. than, than first thought, which can happen um, with a calf. Yep. So uh, who knows what will emerge there. Uh, before we get to our chat with Charlie Claus and Mike, it is time uh, to get that crystal ball out and do some fortune telling. Speaking of priming yourself for finals, my goodness, have we ever both been right? I think it's happened maybe twice in history. And we've been doing fortune telling on this show for about five years (laughs) and twice in history we've both been right in the same week. Mike, you said both teams would kick over 100 points on Friday night and I thought Charlie Cameron was back in form and would have four or more goals. And uh, if there was the ability on this podcast to do a mic drop at this point, (laughs) that's probably where we do it. If we could ever retire this segment, (laughs) it'd be right now, wouldn't it? You know, just sneakily, Brisbane was up by about six goals late in that fourth quarter, but I did remember my crystal ball prediction (laughs) and I was sort of secretly sitting there just cheering for Collingwood to kick a couple late. (laughs) When Scott Pendlebury kicked that goal at the end, I was just, I almost put up the finger like, yep, got this one. (laughs) (laughs) Because the moment he did kick it, you looked at me and you sort of gave a bit of a fist pump and I was like, come on, Mike, it's a Collingwood goal. What are you doing? But yes, no, look. It's uh, just so rare that we get them right. I, mean, I know. Charlie was in the bag for you pretty yeah. early, to be honest. You'd, yeah. You you had the smoke and the cigar at three quarter time, <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> and you had the anxiety of if you'd be joining me or not. So no, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful night on that uh, front. I'll let you gaze into the crystal ball first here this week. Mike. Uh, what are you seeing this week? The, the informed crystal ball. Yeah, I think it's a big game coming up for Rod Lester. <laughs> 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 yep, I like that. <laughs> I do. I love how he's been playing. I I'm gonna I struggle to quantify and I can't default to my favorite one of coaches' votes when it comes to defenders because we don't see them in the final couple of rounds of the season. They put that mm. under lock and key so that it's a bit of a surprise come uh, awards night. So let's go with let's go with ten intercept possessions okay. for, for Froggy Lester. For Rod. Yeah, for Rod, Rocket Rod. <laughs> BT, I love it. Beautiful. Okay, well, I've got one of that's a bit more of a whole team thing. Um, the Saints have only been had a hundred 
uh, points kicked against them once this year. That's the Crows back in May, I think. I think we're about to become the second. Um, I think the Lions are primed. I think the Lions at the Gabba are primed. I reckon we're going to kick over 100 points and have uh, – it, it's not going to be a demolition, but I think it'll be a comfortable win, maybe five goals or something mm. in the end for Brisbane on Saturday. And then all Lions fans will be hugging each other and then also terrified at the same time, realising that we'll be back here in two weeks. Favourites expected to win. Oh Well, if the Lions do finish second, they will be favourites to make the grand final at that point. And again, my brain sort of starts shutting down when I think this way because the moment I think about actually winning a prelim final, I said this to my dad um, last night, actually. I said, I I think after winning a prelim, there would be the most utter complete joy for about half an hour. And then after half an hour, it would sink into the most gut-wrenching, painful anxiety that would just last for a full week. Oh, my God. How are we going to stop Jordan Degoe? Who's going to tag oh Nick Dacos? Or, you know, oh, my gosh. Yeah. How are we going to stop Rosie Butters? And <laughs> well, maybe it'll be the matchup against the Saints again in the grand final, yeah. eh? That's not beyond the or realm. Vossi. <laughs> yeah, or Vossi. Oh, that God, is, who's going to – can Ch- Jack Payne stop Charlie Kernow That again? would actually worry me. Bizarrely, I'd be more worried about facing Carlton at the moment in a grand final yeah. than, than maybe even Collingwood. So that shows the run they've done there. Uh, well, look, we've got a few questions to get through at the end of the podcast before we do wrap up. But uh, right now, we're going to jump to our, uh, my chat with Charlie Clawson, Saints fan, podcaster, actor uh, here. And just another warning, there is a little bit of choice language in this. So uh, make sure no youngies are around for this conversation. And uh, here it is, man. Chatting with Saints fan Charlie Clawson. Charlie Clawson, thank you so much for joining the Raw Deal. Ah, thanks for having me on. I um, I have a lot of affection for the Brisbane Lions. Uh, I live closer to uh, Brisbane than I do to Melbourne these days. So I uh, I think it all stems from um, Chris Fagan down. How can you not love Chris <laughs> Fagan? Well, I got a, I got a few questions about Chris Fagan a little bit later on. But to begin with, I, I should right. mention that as we are speaking at the moment, uh, it's just after four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and about ten minutes ago. Um, West Coast have staged their incredible win over the Bulldogs, which locks the Saints into into finals. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, at the moment, it must be a, I a didn't bit of believe a shock. It. I didn't believe it at first. Like, it was funny, like, because I've got a little uh, Saints WhatsApp chat. And, um, like, after the after we won, there's a bit of elation. Then 10 minutes later, after that non-goal uh, uh, for the Crows, we were like, it's just so St Kilda that, you know, we if we if, if if I think it was if GWS and the Swans win next week, we could potentially be out on like 0.01 percent. You know, of a goal <laughs> because of a goal that was a goal that wasn't allowed. So we were all preparing ourselves for the worst. But then this most unexpected unexpected of turnups. I was the last person in the chat to believe it. I was like, no, no, and I'm terrible with the ladder predictor and stuff. But everyone has assured me that there is no way we can drop out. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is good. I can relax now, like, because yeah. I was expecting to go into the game against the Lions, you know, like it's with things still up in the air. But now it's, it's a bit more relaxing to think, okay, well, you know, you can just sort of play with freedom now. Well, not much, not to me. <laughs> Listen, as if I pull the boots on, I can watch with freedom with yeah. less stress. Well, speaking of uh, a bit of freedom heading into the game, the the pre-finals buy pretty much exists because of Ross Lyon a bunch of years ago resting all those players. Do you reckon now that the Saints have a have a finals berth um, locked in that that Ross might rest a few for the trip to Brizzy? I know that. I mean, it was a bit of carnage last night for both teams, but I don't know that anyone came out of it with anything significant, at least not like, I mean, if you're going to be resting players, you see big game players. I think all the players that got injured were like your Hunter Clarks and Cooper Shamans and, well, Brad Hill potentially, maybe rest Brad Hill for finals, but he's amazing. Like he jarred his knee or did something to his knee and then 
end up like running the most Ks of anyone on the ground. So it's like, well, I mean, if he doesn't need a break, he doesn't need a break. So I, I, I don't think so. There's no obvious candidates for who need a rest in our team. Well, take me into the, the rise of the Saints this year then, because I think it's probably caught most people off guard a little bit. It felt like Ross Lyon was coming in to, to start from square one and, and build a club up, and now suddenly he's steered them into the finals, um, you know, first year back back in, in charge. How has he done it this year? What's What have you put it down to? It's sort of a million-dollar question because I think we've had like – I don't think Rutz was a bad coach necessarily – but I think it's almost like being in a relationship with someone that you're 90% into, but that 10% is just missing. <laughs> it's that 10% that makes you want to stick with that person. Sure, sure. And and look, I don't have any inside info on this. This is just from stuff I've absorbed through, you know, talking to people and reading stuff online. But I think it's about a general, it's general standards across the board, you know, and it's a general level of excellence. And I think that since he left in 2011, we just have not had that leadership and then when nick revolt retired that was another i think we underestimated in 2017 what losing nick revolt would do for the club in terms of leadership we didn't have a lot of natural leaders on the field experienced players and stuff but it's different when you've got that person who's like no this is how it is and so even in like an outside observer you listen to a ross lyon press conference and whether or not you like him or dislike him he has a very specific unique take on the game and i think with a coach it's all about buy-in and it's obvious that the players have bought in. And there is a narrative around him that it's all about defence. I think that's, you know, partly true. Like he builds it off defence. And that's definitely been our our strength this year is just that team defence. Um, but last year, that team defence was all pressure, 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 and then mm. try and get quick out the back. This year, the difference to me from my, you know, uh, as a complete non-expert, as the one host of a footy-adjacent podcast, <laughs> my analysis is that this year um, we've we've added gears to shifting from transition, like transitioning from defence to attack. Like it used to be all out pressure in defence and then all out attack. Uh, now it's like there's we've got a chip game, we've got a stop and, you know, mark kick game, we've got a man-on-man -man game. And I think whether or not that's just Ross Lyon solely or the entire – because we had an entire clean-out of assistants as well. So we've got Lenny Hayes back in, mm -hmm. Brendan Goddard, Corian Wright stuck around. Um, so I think that's – that it's it, it's 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 the sum of its parts as opposed to just Ross, I reckon. Well, it's an interesting one. I mean, do you think it's totally revolutionised the idea that you should never go back to an ex? Because it it does feel a little <laughs> bit like it's been a, a win for reuniting an old flame. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, so David Parkin's the only obvious one that comes to light. He won a flag mm. going back to Carlton. Um, yeah, I don't know, like. There's a bit of romance about it just because of the unfinished business, you know, like he got so close in 09 yeah, and 10, yeah. maybe that is sort of more why you'd go back to the ex because he sort of left when the relationship was still hot, you know, like yeah, yeah. we're only one year out of the grand final before he bailed because the admin, I think, stuffed up offering him, they didn't offer him a contract in time and then an opportunistic Fremantle swooped in. So I don't know if it'll change the trend. I don't know how many other clubs would look at their ex-coaches and think, oh, we left something on the table there. Generally, when they part ways, mm. you know. Oh, I don't know, Charlie. There's, I, I think there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a Lions fan base sentiment that maybe Michael Voss might return here one day when he's won a few flags with Carlton. He might come back to the Lions for a bit. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. He's a much better coach now, mm. and even like an, an analysis of the game. I've always liked Michael Voss as a player, and even as a coach at Brisbane, but it was clear that he stepped into that job a little too early, mm. and there was too much kind of sentiment involved in that. But 
uh, nowadays, like, yeah, I mean, we have the same with Rob Harvey at the Saints. You know, he's been an assistant coach for 20 years now, or not 20, maybe 15 years. Mm. And um, he's gone for a few senior jobs that never quite got them. And then at some point you've got to go, well, maybe he's just not. He was an introvert as a player. Maybe he's not like a, a, a he's not coach, senior coach material. So can you give us a bit of a background into your, I guess, your history as a Saints fan? I mean, it's a little bit of a curse, to be honest, to, to support <laughs> the team that hasn't been able to win a flag in your, in your lifetime. But what, what, what is your background with the Saints? Where did that come from? Uh, family. So I, I always found it very unusual when I meet people who have like family members who all go for different teams. I didn't know that was allowed, <laughs> like in my house. And I come from a family of like eight kids. And, you know, mum and dad, everyone was a Saints supporter and it was just expected that you'd be a Saints supporter. Now, a lot of my siblings have dropped off, understandably, um, but me and my brother and sort of my sister, one of my sisters sort of, you know, she sort of dips back in every now and then. But we are still the kind of like me and my brother are the hardcore fans. And I don't know. I think I grew up Bayside, which is a very Saints heavy territory. Mm. There weren't a lot of Saints fans at my school, but outside of school, you know, just in the local area and stuff. I knew a lot of Saints supporters and I think it was just my dad taking me to games. And the one thing St Kilda's never had, if we haven't had like team success, we've always had really good players and iconic, charismatic, you know, from Trevor Barker was my earliest memory of a Saints player on the field and he just catches your eye, you know, this high flying, glamorous blonde. Um, and then when I really started taking notice of footy, it was Tony Lockett, Stewie mm. Lowe, Nicky Winmar, Rob Harvey. And that was like the, golden era, you know, of the, the end of the suburban league where you'd, you know, go to Moorabbin is a really, you know, I have such fond memories of just jumping on, you know, the bus and then the train and, and then walking to Moorabbin and cutting through the Safeway car park and getting some donuts to put in your backpack and just the noise that, 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 you know, you would hear at Moorabbin. It was like nothing else. And at the 150 this year, I wrote a little thing on my Instagram about, you know, how I understand why it would be hard for an outsider to get what it is, why you stick with them. But if you're in it and you know other Saints supporters, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's this um, it's this shared kind of experience of misery, like some some really dizzying highs and then this abject misery. And I think that it's just, it's you can't give up on that now. Like it's, I'm too old to switch teams. Like yes, yeah. my wife, who's not a sport fan at all, has offered me that advice several times. <laughs> like, I think just go for a good team. But it, I just feel like I'm too deep in now. The The mythology of the club is woven into my DNA. Yeah, yeah. And if they won a flag and I had stopped watching, <laughs> yes. I would fucking regret it for the rest of my life. Oh, that's it, isn't it? Can I swear on your pot? I'm not oh, sure. Oh, why sorry. not? Why not? Uh, we had Aussie okay. Man on a little while ago and he was he was happy too. So that that fits in. Okay. Um, well, speaking of of uh, your podcast, I mean, we, we mentioned two guys from quite a bit on our show. We've mentioned particularly you found an old Chris Fagan player profile a few years ago and he oh, uh, yeah. had that line in there, uh, what's your favourite drink? And his response was, you can beat an egg, but you can't beat a cup of tea, which has been uh, <laughs> an ongoing reference here on our podcast. But something a bit famous about your podcast that, we, that, that we've touched on once or twice is your Ross Lyon impression, which I know a friend of mine has suggested you should tour, make it like a 12th man sort of scenario, a, a Ross Lyon really? character. I don't even yeah. think it's that good. Oh, I can't it's even think great. About it. it's, uh, my Ross is here. You know, it's uh, <laughs> put me on the spot. Put you on the spot well, there. You know, well, Ross is he's very much still on message and on brand. Like he always talks about, you know, we the backline gave great effort. And when you give great effort, your forwards benefit. So, yeah, like we'll celebrate the win. We'll go, we'll enjoy it. But then, you know, eyes on the prize next week. So, Lions, that'll be tough assignment. Eric, good form. Cameron, he can tear a game apart. 
Yeah, but you know, it's, like, it's gold. Just, it's great. Yeah, it's just got the rambling drunk uncle. Yeah. Uh, always unenthused. Always seems kind of like he's just woken up from a nap. Nonplussed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good exactly. way to put it. Well, sp- jumping from Ross Lyon to our coach, Chris Fagan, I know you guys yeah, talk about him Fags. a lot on your podcast and sort of the old man, man Fags character has is, is, uh, really <laughs> taken off on Two Guys, One Cup. Yeah. Where were, What were the origins of the old man Fags character for you guys? What are you talking about? Have you ever seen him like interviewed or do anything? He is like what he is is um oh god the guy from the Simpsons I forget his name it's um uh, oh uh, oh dear god uh, Gil Gil uh, is it Gil, Gil. Yeah. yeah that's that's where that's where it came from is that he reminds me of Gil where mm. like he he's obviously a, a great coach but he just is he's like he's so adorably kind of clumsy. Well, you know, you see him kind of bump into things. It was got like pulling his hammy at the, M, you know, Battle MND. Um, you know, that footage of Robbo knocking him down at training. Like, it's just, we've definitely created this persona for him, which is this bumbling, you know, sort of mm. buffoon. And he's clearly like not that. He's a very good coach. But I also don't think there is a coach I would love to hang out with more than Chris Fagan. Like, I, I would love to just sit at a table with him, have a lunch and just, Pick his brain because the way he came into the job and Mm. where he would have thought his career was at that point, you know, he probably would have thought senior coaching had had passed him by and, you know, that that sort of Alistair Clarkson sheen was passed over to him and he was exactly what the Lions needed, Mm. you know, because you had sort of tried Voss, you tried Lepich and you you really needed that father figure and look at all these kids that love him, like, you know, your players who play for him and they love him. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting one, actually. Your character, I, I can tell you, isn't too far from the mark. We've had him on the podcast maybe seven or eight times over the journey. Uh, we used to be affiliated with the club. We're out on our own now. But the first time we had him on was late 2017, and he was wandering up to level five at the Gabba to come into the studio with us. And I'd been a bit nervous about it because we, you know, I'd chatted to Vossi when we were doing the pod then, and Vossi had the bravado, and Leper similarly had a lot of bravado. Fag sort of stumbles into the studio, and stumbles is the right word. And then he looks at Mike and I, I say, hi, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Dom Faye. Uh, he, he knew Mike, shook his hand. And he says, could I borrow your phone? And I said, sure, why? And he said, oh, I think I've gone and left my phone in a taxi. <laughs> and I, I go, okay, sure. So Chris Fagan now, I've met the senior coach of the Lions. He's got my phone. He calls one three cabs and spends 15 minutes trying to get through to the operator who can put him through to his taxi driver he's just had. And he picks up the phone and says, oh, look, my name's Chris. I work at the football stadium in Wool and Gabba, and I'm just, I'm just after my phone. <laughs> anyway, he gets his phone back in the end and pays the money for them to drop it off. But I remember thinking, who is this man who has none of the <laughs> arrogance, none of the ego, none of the bluster of this footy industry? He's just this sort of gentle granddad in a sense. Oh my God. That is perfectly like that. Yeah. None of that story surprises me. That's exactly <laughs> who I thought Chris Fagan must be. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's great to know. I think he then said, cause he'd just been on, uh, on, oh, was it the Brad Sewell's podcast maybe the week before? And he sat down with us and we mentioned that to him and he said, yeah, this is my second podcast. Has anyone ever done two podcasts before? And we said, yes, Fags. <laughs> a couple of people have done, <laughs> couple of people have done two podcasts before Fags. But nice effort. So the, the good news is, I mean, he's a very serious guy and we always joke that in season, you get really strict and stern, Chris Fagan. The moment the season's done, Uncle Fags comes out again. So, but he's totally, I mean, if you, you, you live in the Northern Rivers part in New South Wales and, and you've yeah. probably been in proximity to the Lions and what he's been able to do over the last seven years for this club, taking AFL in this town from totally irrelevant to, to what it is today. It's been pretty remarkable. 
Well, I went to the Gabba for the first time last year for the elimination final against Richmond. I scored mm. a ticket to that. And it was like, A, the Gabba is an insane home ground for football. Like, it's just like someone <laughs> dumped a stadium in the middle of the suburbs. Like, yep. you can't see it for miles. You're driving in there, and all of a sudden there's a stadium right next to like a primary <laughs> school or something. No yeah. parking. It's just so haphazard. But the energy in there, like I was sitting right behind the Richmond cheer squad and they were loud, but the Lions fans were louder. And, you know, what an incredible game decided by a kick. Um, I loved it. And I just was like... I was despairing over AFL in Queensland, you know, five years ago. Like Gold Coast were no good, Brisbane looked no good, and it just mm. seemed to be a disaster. And, you know, thanks to Fags, like the Lions have turned it around and, you know, they were scary against the 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 Magpies on um, on Friday night. I sort of tweeted out that, like, you know, Cam Rayner is your, like, fifth most damaging player yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, he's a gun and that's <laughs> scary. Like, you've got so much talent. So because it's funny, actually, I'll, I might ask you a question. Someone mm. have responded to that and said that Cam Rainer Rain, underachieves. Yeah. And I don't know that's necessarily true, is it? Because um, he was young, he did a knee. Yeah. They sort of played him out of position. Look, it's a, it's a pretty contentious topic amongst Lions fans, uh, the Cam Rainer saga, because he's often promised to, to take that step to being basically Petrarca-esque, similar mould of player. And um, uh, you look at Collingwood earlier this year, the Gabber, I think he kicked four that day and was comfortably best on ground. And there's often been this sense that if Rainer can get to that level more often, then, you know, we do have one of the top five players in the comp in the team. And instead he seems to float in and out. But you're right, he's had an interrupted journey so far with the ACL. And I think also sometimes players like that, it's hard to know exactly what the role is. Are they the mid who bursts forward? Are they the third tall, which is what he's sort of playing at the moment? But um, but I've been pretty confident for a while that there will be a final one day, and I hope it's this year, that Cam Rayner sort of mm. steps up 25 touches and three or four goals, and suddenly everyone realises that... Because it, it took a while with Dusty, and it takes, took a while with Petrarca before they got to who they are now. Yeah, he reminds me more of a, more of a like, to goey. Yeah, like, that's He's just like an yep. impact player. Yeah. You know, and he... Really doesn't have the tank for the midfield, which maybe that's coming. It takes a while, like to be, mm. and also Brisbane have an elite midfield. Like, who are you pushing out to put Cam Rayner in? So I don't, you know, it's almost like a, you've you've got a um, an abundance of riches, you know. You've mm. and I'm not talking about Daniel Rich, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, you've got a you're a deficient in riches at the moment. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, you know maybe. what I mean? Like you, you got you when you've got that much talent, it's like it's kind of like picking your Australian side, and yeah. you got you know uh, Patrick Dangerfield in the forward pocket. Like that's what you got with Cam Rayner. Mm. He would be starting uh, 18 for. 17 other clubs for yeah. sure, oh, you know, I maybe so. not like um, the Bulldogs or something, but um, I, I have, I have great faith and he's young. Like what yeah. is he? 23, 24, something like that. Yeah. 2017. <laughs> yeah. A year out with a knee. Look, I agree. I think he's going to, I think he'll be fine. I, I think um, most Lions fans are pretty confident that what he can do make, makes him first five or six picked each week. You just want to see him get to that absolute elite level. Cause I think that might get us over the line. Someone else who occasionally does, um, get the ire of, of some Lions fans and the wider comp is Joe Danaher, who I know you talk a bit about mm. on your podcast as well. I'm not sure if you know this, but we got a bit of a scoop on our podcast a little while ago that Joe has just moved to the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales himself. Oh. So Joe's commuting wow. from there to the Gabba um, for training. So, uh, or to Springfield wow. so for training. So yeah, he's, um he's moved into your part of the world, Joe. So you might see him down That's at the local shops. Well, yeah, it'd be hard to miss Joe Danaher. <laughs> I mean, there's actually quite a few um, AFL, mainly ex-AFL players that I've noticed 
shuffling around in the Northern Rivers. Mm. Um, Justin Kajitsky, I see quite yeah, a bit okay, up here. Right. I saw Jack, I, Jack Stephen was living at the end of my street for a while. <laughs> I think I, I went out for a jog once and I was wearing my Saints cap and I think he saw me and like just bolted the other way. He's like, oh, no, I don't want to talk to some Saints nuffy. Um, I've seen uh, 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 David, no, Andrew Swallow, used to Captain North. He yep, lives yep. up here. He cap Captain coaches the Byron Bay Magpies. Yep. I think he'll like it here. I mean, Joe... Best decision Joe ever made getting out of Melbourne, mm. getting away from the Danaher name at the Bombers. And I love, like, I will not, I will not stomach criticism of Joe Danaher. Like, yeah. you, you, you get what you get, you know, yeah. like he's more likely to miss from 10 metres out directly in front. But then he also does something incredible. And I think they've found a good role for him this year, sort of, you know, like sort of part-time Ruckman, link player up forward, you know, it can yeah. still be that get out, you know, kick. But um, he seems more consistent, you know what I mean? Less of those kind of wild swings in yeah, decision-making. Well, and I think, I mean, he's always going to be an enigma, but so many of the great key forwards in history are kind of enigmatic off-field in a sense. We've been trying to get to the bottom of why he's picked uh, Let It Go from Frozen as his goal celebration song. Nobody knows. Most people at the club don't even seem to have any idea as to why he chose this, but it all fits in with the enigma that, that is Joe. Yeah, get it, mate. Fits in with the the message of that song is about like you know getting away from expectations and yeah, the pressures true. of what other people think of you. So that's true. I mean, he's the Elsa of the Essendon <laughs> football club, you know. So maybe that's yeah, what it is. That fits. That does fit. Uh, well, well, looking at this Saturday's game, then uh, Lions v Saints. Are you going to make the trek up to the Gabba for this one, or or you going to wait for finals? I am. To, you are coming up for it. No, I, I no, I definitely am. Yeah, I uh, I was unsure of it actually. I hadn't really considered it. I actually went to uh, Heritage Bank yesterday just to watch some footy, um, and it was an unbearable experience. <laughs> like the fucking stadium. Ironically, there is too much sun at the Suns' home ground. <laughs> like it's you, in an afternoon game. It's blinding. Like you yeah, just sit yeah. in a, like hot sunshine. Um, but the Gabba is a, is a, for all its strange location, like where it's located, it's actually a much better ground to watch footy. Yeah. Um, so no, I'll definitely be making the trek up. I think it's just fun now. Like I don't actually, I'm not stressing about the result. Um, I actually think we match up pretty well against the Lions. We just, we're in bad form when we played you earlier in this year. I think that if we can bring like the, if we can bring consistent pressure over four quarters, then ring with the shot talent, like, Player for player, you're way more talented than our list. Like, you know, we can't compete. But Jimmy Webster always does a number on Charlie Cameron. Mm. He always is a great lockdown defender on Charlie Cameron. Um, I think that we can put Cal Wilkie and Battle like uh, on Hipwood and maybe they rotate between Hipwood and if Danaher's up forward. And then the midfield just sort of becomes about Steele went to Dangerfield against the Cats and he had 14 touches. So I think put Steele yep. to Robbie Neal, uh, not Robbie Neal, um, um, Lockie. Sorry. <laughs> Lockie. Lockie Neal. <laughs> Robbie Neal used to play for the Saints in the 90s. I'm losing my mind. Hey, look, after roaming Brian um, called Ryan Lester, Rod Lester, three times on Friday night, <laughs> I think you're fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I think it really just becomes about like, um, like we will be battling that the home ground advantage and that pressure cooker. But I think there'll be a bit of pressure has been lifted by the result today. So they can just play with a bit of freedom, you know, and then look forward to a rest the week after. So I think it should be a good contest. Mm. I mean, 
Who's, when was the last time you had a loss at the Gabba? When when was that? Uh, we haven't lost this year, so I think the last loss at the Gabba that we we've had would have been the Essendon game last year that we had about eight out with COVID or something like that. So right. apart from that, I think the last genuine loss at the Gabba we we actually had uh, was the twenty twenty one final against the Bulldogs. So we've had a pretty um you know without seven out with COVID, so we've had a pretty good run there for a little while now. <laughs> Without uh, putting words in Lethal's mouth, I believe he once said, the longer you go winning, the closer you are to losing. Yeah. So. Well, if, I, w- I mean, to be honest, if we're about to have two home finals at the Gabba, it would be a bit of a cruel twist if we lost one of those. So quite happy to, uh, if we have to have the loss, get it out of the way this weekend and then win at the Gabba when finals come around. Very happy to do it. That's a good point. Well, uh, I'll turn the question back on you. Is there anyone who needs a rest for the Lions? Well, it's a really, that's a good point. Uh, I, I think Lockie and, and Josh Dunkley have both looked a little bit sore lately. I know Chris Fagan mentioned uh, after the game on Friday night that he actually offered Lockie a rest for the, the Pies game and Lockie refused that. So uh, it's a tricky one in, in that instance, but I think certainly this year the pre-finals bye will help us a lot. We've um, looking a little bit banged up at the moment, might be fair to say, covering for Will Ashcroft as well, especially. And uh, Friday night we see mm. Cal Archie get a bit of a knock and Link McCarthy's calf a he bit was injured. So. He was playing so well too. Yeah, oh, phenomenal. And th- we've been on a big yeah, mission yeah. to get him in the team all year. So, look, it's going to be an interesting one. And one of your uh, one of your last chances to see the Saints at the Gabba before they knock it down and build the Olympic Stadium there. So, a $2.7 billion yeah, no. Gabba in an equally confusing position. Well, the last time I went, I was lucky enough to get Superbox tickets and they have a special entrance, which is like, it's like Harry Potter. It's between the sort of like gate eight <laughs> and gate nine. It's like gate eight and a half. And it's really fucking hard to find. And I was... <laughs> circling the Gabba trying to find the entrance and I was dressed all in black and I was sort of just waiting at this spot because I'm like, is this, and the amount of people who were running up saying, where's gate eight and a half? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're yelling at me and I was like, what's going on? And then I realized I thought I was security because I was sort of just all in black hanging outside this entrance. I was like, oh, don't work here, mate. I'm, I'm trying to find the entrance myself. Yeah. Look, it's going to be fascinating, but the, the current projections are that it will be the, the new build they're going to do for the Olympics will be the second most expensive stadium build in the world. Um, so I think oh, wow. there's one maybe in LA that's that's more expensive, I think, but but it'll be the second in the world. So um, it'll be a pretty special Gabba, but at the moment it's our old worn down Gabba in a, and we love it as it is for the moment. So, yeah. well, look, it's going to be lovely to have you up here. I'll be honest. I hope you do leave disappointed Saturday night naturally, but um, but okay. <laughs> we'll be lovely to have you personally. up here. Um, I should let you go and get your podcast going with Will. I know you, you do it with a – we had Will on earlier this year for the Dogs game and you're about to sit down and do a, an AFL podcast with a guy whose team has just lost to West Coast. How, how's that going to go? Well, I think he said last week if we lose to West Coast, then we might as well just pack it all in. So I don't even <laughs> know if we will be doing a podcast. But it's unfair. In the history of Two Guys, One Cup, the whole reason we started the podcast is we both barrack for teams that only had one flag in yeah. their history. And then the very first year we do the pod, the Bulldogs win one. So yep. look, he's had the rub of the green for the seven years we've been doing the show. I think it's only fair that I have like one year to myself. <laughs> yeah. If he's disappointed, he can put the 2016 replay on for the millionth time and watch yeah. that one back for sure. Well, Charlie, thank exactly. you so much for joining us. People can get the two guys, one cup podcast through the listener app. I uh, really appreciate your time and, and, uh, and great to chat all things Lion Saints. Awesome. Thank you. Let's wrap up with some questions today, Mike. Uh, a few to talk our way through, uh, and then I need to hear the Lions player who you think would, from your time, would be most dirty to have never had the chance to have the the jersey off uh, at a game. Is it Jersey or Guernsey, by the way? 
I've Gern. always worried. I always wondered. call it Guernsey. It is Guernsey? Yeah, that's what I call it. Because it's used interchangeably in footy circles. And I thought Guernsey was the sleeves cut off and Jersey was with sleeves. That was the sporting terminology. But it seems to be used so interchangeably that I don't actually know the correct definition. You, you know we're going to get railed by fans for this, I reckon. <laughs> are we? No, I reckon we are. Well, uh, I'm going with Guernsey. Okay, I'll say this. I, I thought it was Guernsey until a year or two ago watching Friday Night Footy. Lee Matthews said his jersey's come off there. Oh, and I thought if Lee if Matthews Lee's calls it jersey, like, I, I mean, surely, even if it was Guernsey before, now it's jersey if Lee said it. <laughs> if Lee says it, the rule changes, yep. whatever is the case. So, anyway, um, uh, apologies in advance to anyone I've offended with my jersey Guernsey comment <laughs> there. Um, we'll start with a question from John. Uh, talking about what's happened at West Coast, he says, the role of a, I want to know about the role of a CEO at the club. So, Trevor Nisbet at the Eagles is under fire. This is obviously before they're stirring win over the Bulldogs out of nowhere. Um, do you think CEOs can be kind of a fall guy uh, when things go poorly coaches i understand high performance manager i get that recruiting again i understand and i'm sure there's others but i don't really get why the ceo would be blamed for on field uh is it as simple as to make an example of a reset to supporters to drive memberships partly i think it's to set an example but also he's the man responsible for or partly responsible for hiring those people so if you're selecting the coach who's Turn, I can't say turn the club into a disaster. That's un, that's unfair when it comes to mm. Adam Simpson, who's won the Eagles a premiership. But like, it's the CEO's responsibility to get his football department in place, his footy manager, and then he's him and his footy manager to sort out coaches, assistant coaches, high performance. So we're just going we're just going higher higher and higher up the chain. So yeah, it's because they're largely responsible for employing those people. So mm. I think that's why eventually they're not – CEOs aren't the first port of call. But no. if if Chris Fagan came in and had made no improvements at the Lions in three years and players wanted to leave, you'd be looking at Greg Swan going, well, mate, you've picked Justin Lepich. Yes. You've picked Chris Fagan. Yeah. You've had these assistant coaches and David Noble as your footy manager and it's all gone pear-shaped. Like you've got to take some accountability. I yep. think that's why eventually you go to CEOs, but it does take a little while to get to that stage. I also would um, hazard a guess on that particular front as well, that it's not necessarily about losing. It's the manner in which they've fallen totally apart as a club. Because I, I think, you know, we can see other clubs that have seemingly the other metrics have worked. Okay. The culture seems good. They're putting up a fight and nobody questions the the leadership, even if they might question the coach. Now, Richmond have had a disappointing year and, and Dimmer left. And, you know, probably when they reset with Taranto and Hopper, they would have had higher expectations than what's happened this year. But there's been no pressure on Brendan Gale because they're still as a, as an organization, clearly incredibly well run. Whereas what you've seen happen uh, with West Coast is it kind of seems like the organization's fallen apart. When you look at the injury list, the manner of the losses, the just sheer lack of any competitive spirit whatsoever, there, there comes a stage where you go, something's rotten in the organization. And whenever that's the case, I think that's when you look uh, I, higher. I think when I was like a, a younger adult, I used to sort of look at sporting organizations and think, CEO the board, chairman, like really who cares? Isn't it sure. just the coach and the players? But yeah. the the longer I've been involved in this sport and watched other sports from afar, that's where it starts. Like it is mm. honestly where culture, which is pr- a pretty broad term, I think we just use 
you know, a little broadly sometimes, but it does. It it's. I believe it more and more that the older I get, that that's where it starts. Culture starts at the top, and that's your yep. your chairman and your board and your CEO, and they set that. Whether it's a calm nature, a non don't panic, an inclusive nature, whatever it is you're trying to set within your club or your organisation, I do believe it starts at the top. And any of us who've, you know, been involved in a company have probably yeah. seen this, uh, how different the vibe is depending on the big boss uh, at the end of the day. So whoever's in that big chair does seem to set a, a pretty big role in terms of the um, the impact around the club uh, or in the organization. Uh, this one comes through from Ryan, who was asking if we were going to do an emergency podcast after the Pies win. And it's a great question, Ryan, and it probably means it's something we need in our touch on, Mike, because we've had this chat on Friday night. I think I said mm. to you, is this emergency pod levels? And you stopped to think for a moment as well. And then we both sort of came to the moment of going, no finals, yeah. save it for finals. So um, we think emergency pods, the plan is going forward. Uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking, Mike, that we'll try to record the the day after each final yeah. that the Lions play, regardless of the result. There's going to be that much appetite to talk it through the day after. If it's like a prelim win, might even be that night. No promises. Uh, you got a lot of work to do, but yep. you never know. Um, that's on the table. So, look, if you haven't signed up as a Raw Deal Patreon supporter yet, this would be the time to do it because mm. Patreon supporters will get it as soon as the podcast is done and edited. So you might get it, for example, within 12 hours of, of the final siren when we get – or 16 hours when we get to, to finals. Um, and, uh, and, you know, then everyone else will probably get it a day or so later is how we'll roll it out. So how would people sign up for Patreon? Well, that's a great question, Mike. And now I feel like I'm in one of those infomercials that they used to have on the morning. Do they still have, I've not watched the morning shows in years. Neither have I. Did you ever used to watch those ones? Yeah, like, I did. Those ones? Yeah. I, I assume they're still going. Anyway. Um, I was a Koshy over Carl man a, a long time oh, yeah, ago. So was but, I. Yeah. So was I. I don't, I still can't tell you why. Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not, I'm sure not necessarily I, proud of announcing that. No, but I, yeah. I just don't know why, but something about Koshi. He was everyone's dorky uncle, wasn't yeah. he? Um, well, if you go to patreon.com forward slash the raw deal, the name of this podcast, uh, you'll be able to sign up now. Look, $5 a month does get you into the, uh, advanced access tier on Patreon. So that means you, you put the RSS feed for the early access India podcast app. And then every single week, the moment this episode goes live on Patreon, you've got it. So you get it early. You get Just early pretty access. quickly after we record it yep. generally. Yeah. Yep. So it goes for a bit of audio processing with our, our friend James up in Mullaney and uh, then it comes back down to us and off it goes. So, uh, and if you sign up for the $10 a month, you'll also obviously get into the Raw Deal Facebook group, which is heating up as the season heats up and, uh, and you'll get our team. I can barely chats. keep up with all the chat in there. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's, turned, unreal. it's turned into this amazing forum of Lions chat. So yep. it's, uh, it's very good on that front. And uh, and obviously the team's chats in finals, I get it. they might be an hour long some weeks. Who knows, hey? It's going to be interesting this week. Yeah. I mean, we've chatted about it for 10 minutes and not come up with an answer. So it's, yes, it'll be yes. interesting to see what the match committee comes up with. So look, if you want to be ready for the emergency pods, that's your way to do it. Uh, going through a couple of other questions here. YD says, um, if you could only pick one for the team moving forward out of Dev and Jasper, who would you pick and why? He goes on to say, for my vote for what it's worth is Dev. You know he brings a huge contested effort-based game and has finals experience. Uh, I should also mention YD asked this question before the shirt-ripping incident. So, <laughs> And you also notice I called it shirt instead of jersey or guernsey because yeah. I'm second-guessing myself now. But yeah, Dev or Jasper, only one in the team for finals. Who are you picking? Jasper. I think I'm with you. Just. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just. I mean, it's not an easy. He's asked it because it's a difficult question, right? Yes. So I uh, maybe I've just got this 
illogical bias to Jasper. I don't know, but I have could not have been more impressed. Yeah. Now he plays a totally different role to Will Ashcroft before Will got injured, mm. but I'm I'm almost as impressed, yep. not quite, yep. with Jasper as I was with Will. Jasper plays a very unsexy, which is not a word, role. Mm. He plays out on a wing and he it, it, it was a little down, I thought, for a week or two. Yep. But I felt like he was good again the other night. He, The amount of times you'll see him um, be back to help with the defenders, Yeah. whether it's – sometimes it's unrewarded. He's just back there as an option that you'll see and you think, man, that guy's worked so hard. Yes. And when he does get the ball, it's still – I saw it once or twice the other night. I'm like, I'm still blown away by how composed he is – with all these bodies around him. Mm. I think he's like a first-year kid where I just think, oh, mate, he's just going to turn to his left and get smashed, but he'll turn to his right and give a handball. Or So composed and just clearly plays his role mm. really well, which is critical for those wingers. Also worth mentioning how strong he looked in the Demons game at the G, and that's yep. obviously where the grand finals played, the wide expanses of the MCG. Jasper on one of those wingers. on wings. I think you'd feel pretty safe with, with him there on, on the big stage. The other thing worth mentioning with him is while he is a young player, you don't get any vibe that he's overawed. No. Um, you look at the very first goal he kicks and he takes on the play and slots it through. And I think that's a sign that that he's someone who isn't going to be overwhelmed by the pressure of grand final day and, and big finals and be ready to take it. A bit like Darcy Wilmot was mm. last year. in Very different characters, but similarly unfazed by the big stage there. So... That's my response. But, but Whitey's point is fo- like totally fine. Yeah, like I, we, I we know what too, we get totally. with Devin Robertson, and I think mm. people that listen to our pod know that I've anytime there's like a vacancy up for grabs, I'm pushing for Dev because I think oh. he does bring all those elements that Whitey mentioned. And I think I think the answer is probably that they're both in the team now. With yeah. with Jack Gunston's injury, I reckon the way things have shuffled around, I think what we saw on Friday night is Brisbane's best twenty two. Um, barring an amazing game from whoever might come in this week. Mm. I think that's Brisbane's best 22 for finals um, with either JL or Darcy Ford as the sub. So I don't think we'll need to choose in the end. I think they'll both be in there. A couple more quick ones. Nathan says, I'm wondering, oh, here we go, sacred cow stuff here, if we should be uh, concerned about Stars' form. He's been a little below par recently, although he seems to maybe be slightly better the last couple of weeks, but there's a few errors creeping into his games with turnovers and a lack of clean hands. We really need him back to his best to shut down opposition small forwards come finals. Who asked that? That was Nathan. Nathan, you've touched on a really sore point here, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Because because while it pains me and I'm wincing to agree with you, but yeah. he's right. Like Stas has – he set a ridiculously high benchmark last yes. year. How yes. a small defender finishes third in the BNF for a team that makes a preliminary final is massive credit to what Stas did last year and has done the previous couple of years. He was just always the guy – you just whack him on the best small forward and it was job done. He's mm. not going to touch the ball – that if small forward is going to have no influence, but he has battled, I think, in the last six weeks. And mainly it's with his uh, decision-making and mm. ball use, which I always thought he's – I mean, he wasn't, uh, like an ex- he wasn't like a Kitty Coleman ball user, but he was a safe ball user and he had some penetration on his kick and you knew if it was in his hands, it was in safe hands. But that hasn't been the case and I think mm. he – I think he – had a couple of turnovers that led to goals about a month ago. One against Geelong stands out in my memory. I think Jeremy Cameron picked it off and kicked the goal. And since then, I feel like he's second-guessed himself a bit and he's just hesitated. And I think that's flowed off into other parts of his game. So, Nathan, you're right. There's It's not panic stations by any stretch of the imagination. But 
yeah, it is fair to ask, should we be a little concerned? And I think just mm. a tiny, tiny bit. It's just like a little uh, uh, watch this space. Well, it's an interesting one. I mean, if, if Paul or Melbourne are coming to the Gabba, they've both got some pretty yep. decent small forwards that he might have to uh, to do a job on. So uh, we'll wait and see what unfolds there. One to just maybe put that up on the notice board, pin it up, and yep. uh, and maybe hopefully we don't have to return to it. And he, he he's not, he's not getting now. torched by not his at opponent. All, not at all. So no. it's not like that part of his game's no. dropped off too much. No. So it's just a couple of odd decisions. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. We'll wait and see what happens there. And just before we, we do go, Mike, and obviously, by the way, we should give you a quick bit of an announcement that the next couple of weeks of the podcast, we, we'll have an episode in your feed uh, in the usual time next week, reviewing the Saints game and a bit of a season wrap uh, there. Yep. And then we're hoping to set up a guest for next week's podcast or the week after that, which you'll get in the pre-finals by weekend. In that episode, we'll talk a bit of AFLW. Uh, we're also going to have a, a hopefully a cool guest on to talk all things Lions We've men's. Almost finals. got that guest. Almost in, over so, the line. Yep, it's yep. a very exciting one. I'm not yep. gonna I'm not gonna say anything more than that. No. But uh, but it's a very very exciting one if we're able to get that happening. So uh, you'll have an episode in the usual time next week, and then the following week's episode will drop somewhere Friday, Saturday, Sunday mm. in that that pre pre finals by run, and then obviously the uh, the emergency. Before, yeah, that run. that will. We'll, Get that into your feed before the ladies play on the Sunday yep. afternoon before they play round one. Yep, that's the aim there. And then after that, you're going to be getting the episode on the weekends going forward because there'll be emergency pods. Mm. So uh, look forward to our four and a half hour special recorded <laughs> on September the 30th at night into the early hours of the morning where we've got no voice left. That's going to be a fun one. Um, before we, we wrap up, Mike, uh, we flagged this earlier in the episode. One Lions player from your time supporting or working alongside the club who you reckon would have loved the chance to get the, the jumper off uh, more than anyone else. Who's the name that comes to mind for you? I have had a think, Dom. There's a couple of candidates, but we'll yep. just go with the one. We'll go with the winner. I yep. think it's Brent Staker. Yeah, Stakes. <laughs> yep. Very, very good looking human <laughs> Brent is. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. he did sort of have this shy, kind of quiet persona, but- I do reckon behind that he did rate the rig a bit <laughs> and I could not blame him. <laughs> do you reckon we might have just torched our chance of ever getting him on as a guest or do you think he Nah, he's a I think I can still get him over the line. <laughs> we had a very good well, we had got a very good relationship, me and Stakes. So There we go. But and if I had a body like his, I'd probably have got the jumper off too. <laughs> yeah. Jumper? Guernsey. We're going with jumper. Oh for my the god, moment. I'm so confused. We're now. sticking with jumper <laughs> until we figure out if it's Jersey or Guernsey. That's the next big dilemma for the raw deal to solve. Uh well, look, that is what we got time for this week on the podcast incredibly exciting times ahead many of us have been on this journey for a long long run now and the next few weeks hold so much promise potential and excitement enjoy the last time and away game for the year this saturday and uh, we'll catch you next week here on the raw deal as we look ahead to all things september